the nachos. No rain, nor wind, nor snow classico. Putting the high line with Rabbi and Red. Talking the rabbits and turning heads. With questions from you and analysis. In your car, in your home. Thank you for tuning to Holding the High Line. Hello. Colorado Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. We are sponsored by Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves. My name is Matt Pollard and it is Monday, May 9th, 2022. Andre Shinyashiki has scored in his debut off the bench again, leading Charlotte FC to a 1-0 victory over Inter Miami. Elsewhere in former Burgundy Boy News, Sam Nicholson and Bristol Rovers have finished second in League 2, winning promotion to League 1 just one year after being relegated. And on the weekend, they won 7-0 over Scunthorpe United. And the Colorado Rapids are back in the Mar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. I am joined now by a man who's got Open Cup fever and is certain we're not getting railhawked this weekend, Rabbi Mark Goodman. Up the gas, Matt. Up the gas. That's what they say about Bristol, right? Yes. That's Bristol Rovers, but not Bristol City. Bristol City, it's just you live in Bristol and your team isn't going anywhere. Yes, don't do not <laughs> confuse the two. I think the only other in my time interacting with people down the pyramids in the football league, Mark, I think the only two fan bases in the same city that get more frustrated or are more enraged by confusion between which and which, which is which is calling Nottingham Forest not forest or knots forest not to be confused with knots county but yes do not confuse bristol rovers with bristol city it is up the gas we do not care about the bristol birds whatsoever mark an official stance of holding the high line <laughs> is we are bristol city black and blue and i'm so happy for sam nicholson good for him I had a little confusion this weekend because I tuned in on Sunday to the Belgian League playoff game. The Belgium has a really cool um, playoff structure where the top teams uh, get a shot at kind of like playing themselves into a better position just by playing each other. Uh, and it was there was a little bit of confusion because um, Antwerp and Anderlecht kind of sound alike. They both start with ah. And they're both kind of like obscure Belgian teams that I don't clo follow closely. But clearly, I'm a huge Antwerp fan, Royal Antwerp, as it were, because my friend Matt uh, Pollard went and got me a scarf from one of those matches. And so I tuned in to watch the game, only to find Sam uh, Vines' club get schwacked 4 to nothing in that match. So... Um, not up the the uh, the Royal uh, Antwerp as much as as Sam Nicholson, but Sam Nicholson going back. I mean, it's really exciting. He's really fun. And Matt asked me earlier if if I happen to have a quote that he had produced uh, a number of years ago when we were both interviewing him in 2018. And I was like, there's no way I just keep random audio files from four years ago <laughs> of players I've interviewed. And I went back and guess what? I actually do. I keep all that stuff. So I found that that wonderful quote of, of San saying, honestly, I didn't know where I was dribbling, which is just fantastic. He was, I forgot also, in Matt, in listening to that entire interview, that um, 
he's just a great interview. He's a great, great talker. And having been been doing interviews for the last four years of players who are not quite as good as Sam Nicholson, I lament the days when you could get a really good interview with a guy like that who also had an awesome Scottish brogue on top of it. And if I'm not mistaken, Mark, that game would have been against the LA Galaxy. It would have been a home match for the Colorado Rapids, and it was a 2-1 victory in which, uh, so the play in question, Mark, the audio of which will play after I finish this spiel, Sam Nicholson actually scored the winner in a 2-1 victory in the 90th minute. So Sam Nicholson had a crazy play, should have scored, it should have been the winner for the Rapids, but in the 90th minute, he beats the LA Galaxy. Now, here is my favorite, and I think Mark's favorite, audio clip, and probably the best Sam Nicholson meme. I had a, a shot early doors, and then one where I didn't know where I was going. I looked like I was running and starting to talk to someone. I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> so Mark, Sam Nicholson played in 34 games this season. He had five goals and four assists. A little bit of a bench player um, as a left midfielder and then left winger for uh, Bristol Rovers. Uh, one of the things that's kind of an issue that not a lot of fans kind of remember this, Mark, is that there's 24 teams when you get down into the bottom three divisions in the football league, so you have a lot more games to play. And as we remember from our time covering Sam in here in MLS is, you know, he does have a back injury that's been a little bit of an issue at times, and he's not necessarily a 90 minutes player every single Tuesday, every single Saturday. So there were a lot of games where he would start and then play 16 minutes, and there were other games where he would play 30 and sub off. But, you know, Mark, 34 games played, five goals, four assists for a team that finishes second in the league. And you know, as maybe Everton fans are potentially about to find out, is that when you get relegated and you don't immediately come up, the financial implications for the club are serious. Sunderland earlier today, Mark, uh, got a draw at Sheffield Wednesday, and that set them up for the a playoff promotion final at Wembley against Adebayo Akinfenwa's uh, Wickham Wanderers at Wembley. And so obviously we've seen not only when you don't get promoted from the championship back up to the Premier League immediately, but when you suffer simultaneous relegations and then don't get promoted from League One, a la Sunderland till I die season two, that's massive for the club. So to stabilize that from a personnel standpoint, to stabilize that from a financial standpoint, big deal for Bristol Rovers, obviously a massive deal for players from a financial standpoint. So Mark, we're happy for Sam Nicholson. Uh, what do we make for that news and what that means for him as a former Rapid? And then uh, talk, let's, let's talk about Andre Shinishiki's goal. Uh, I mean, I think it'll extend his career a little bit, and and that's good. Uh, you know, he's a 27-year-old playing currently in League 2, um, now, God willing, going up with the team to League 1. You know, a lot of teams decide at that point to kind of replace guys, but um, hopefully it'll be, it'll be a, a good thing for Sam. Um, he's always been a really talented player who who kind of like the final product wasn't often there. He's kind of this the Scottish Jonathan Lewis, perhaps uh, one could make the argument. Uh, Matt made a face. Um, you can't see all the faces that Matt makes when when we don't do the video of the of the podcast. But I don't know. I think that's a fair assessment. You can you can you can differ. Um, but he, yeah, we, we we like it. I, I mean, you know, pivoting over to to talking about Arishin Yashiki's goal. I think in Rapids land, it caused a certain amount of panic that we sell a guy on to another team um, and he immediately scores a goal for them and fans immediately because it's a striker and because uh, we have recency bias 
uh, really badly with with things like that. I think there was some immediate buyer's remorse amongst Rapids Nation, where where people were thinking to themselves, like, you know, oh my god, we we just never played the guy, and then we sold him to Charlotte, and all of a sudden he's a success. Maybe we should have just started him and and not brought um, Jossie Zardes onto the ball club. I, I think, you know, time will tell. Uh, I think assuming that he's going to go to another team and suddenly become the Ballon d'Or winner is unrealistic. Um, and I also think that a thing that I said repeatedly to a number of folks who reached out over Twitter was um, that I think that um, Andre Shinishiki's Goal scoring, goal scoring style was never quite accentuated or activated with the Rapids. Like the way he plays, he's kind of like a, a late arriving or um, a fox in the box type uh, Thomas Muller player. And he's not particularly um, the kind of player who, uh, you know, is going to get on the end of headed set pieces. Like when you get lots of stuff delivered from, um, you know, from corners like we do. Uh, but, you know, like, it's hard to tell, like, exactly um, whether Shinyashiki will be slotted into the right system and and he'll, he'll you know, excel. Um, but short, you know, on, on a short amount of uh, evidence, it looks like uh, all, all signs are good for him and Charlotte. Yeah, no. Um, first of all, one thing to point out, Mark, according to TransferMarket.com, Sam Nicholson is actually out of contract. It's pretty typical in lower divisions. Um, it'll be a two-year contract or a three-year contract or two with maybe a team option or something like that. So Sam Nicholson technically out of contract. We'll see given how he played, whether or not Bristol Rovers want to bring him back for uh, pushing to not get re-relegated down from League One, but, you know, Mark, I, I wouldn't be opposed to, given the, the state of the Rapids winger position, maybe the lack of threat in the final third, but with, with crosses and actually shooting and how Jonathan Lewis's speed maybe hasn't been as effective in possession as we would like. Somebody else who's going to stretch the line, just like Barrios on the right from but from a left-sided standpoint, I wouldn't be opposed to Porrick Smith calling Sam Nicholson's representation and seeing if he wanted to come back to Colorado. Not sure if the family situation that may or may not have influenced the mutual and respectful parting of the ways in 2020 has been resolved to the point where Sam Nicholson would want to come back to the other side of the pond. And I'm genuinely happy for Andre Shinyashiki. You know, I thought it was the perfect arrival and introduction for him to Charlotte FC. I think it's fitting that, again, just like how he did with the Colorado Rapids, summing in against Portland in Snow Classic 03 on the opening day of his rookie year. He scores, and then he scores off the bench to win the game for Charlotte, and he does it in a very fox-in-the-box kind of way, Mark, that I think Diego Rubio would have been really proud of. I think Diego Rubio would have done a similar thing, but also shows that it shows how similar the two players are. I think it validates the redundancy of the two players. I think it shows still that Andre Shinyashiki has value within the league and somebody was willing to give him an opportunity that Charlotte now has. I think at the same time, Mark, it's also showing given how goal dangerous, how not goal dangerous the Rapids were on the weekend, how much maybe having on Andre Shinyashiki would have been valuable given the suspension and ineligibility of Diego Rubio at the San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, Mark, anything else that we want to say about uh, these other two players? Or uh, I guess I should ask, uh, did Sam Bynes, uh, did he end up, how did he do individually, even if Antwerp was not good on the weekend? 
He was fine. I think they just really looked like they were pinned back a lot. Um, uh, Anderlecht was just a really strong team. Uh, I also think uh, Antwerp suffered an injury early on that 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 took some steam out of them. But um, and the first goal they conceded was just a center back, um, you know, error. A massive. Their center back was really, really a talented guy. He was clearly a, like one of their better players, but he made a boneheaded pass very early in the game, conceding the ball to the opposing team who just rammed it right back down their throat. I personally, um, because I used to play with him on FIFA all the time, I just think it's a trip to watch Sam Vines play next to Regia Nangolan, who is this, like, tattooed, muscled, ripped, you know, he just looks terrifying. And Nangolan, I think, used to play with either Juventus or Napoli, someone, one of the really juggernauts in... Seria, and just to see him standing next to sweet little Sammy Vines of Colorado Springs, and just it blows my mind a little bit uh, that this kid who I used to see play in the academy is playing next to this, you know, like like kind of like soccer bad boy. I mean, he I always think of Reginald Golan as kind of like the Zinedine Zidane or the Vidal uh, of his time, just like a, a a very scary defensive midfielder who I would not want to meet in a dark alley. And there's Sammy Vines playing right next to him, calling him teammate. So yeah, what you're saying, Mark, is imagine Tyler Durden, like, yes. tatted out Fight Club. And that's like, <laughs> that is Sam Vines' best bud at, at Antwerp. I have a feeling they're not real close, but I do imagine that they... I mean, the other thing that was funny was uh, uh, at halftime of the game, if you've never watched a Belgian League game, um, you should. They're, they're, it's just worth tuning in. They do halftime interviews, and the halftime interview, they usually pick out two players, and they'll interview one in French and the other one in Flemish. And it's just like, I was just really hoping they'd pull Sam over and just ask him a whole bunch of questions in Flemish. Um, but sadly, they did not. Oh, they wouldn't interview someone in Dutch? Maybe maybe it depends on where the, the broadcast is, Mark. Uh, at least when I was in, when I was in Antwerp, um, there were people who were Dutch speaking and their website has a Dutch version on the, on the language. I, but I guess it, I guess it makes sense from a national stamp, from a broadcast standpoint to do it in Flemish and then secondarily in French. I'll be, I'll be honest. They may have been speaking Dutch and I couldn't tell the difference, but my, it was to me as an American. And, you know, I think most of you on the podcast can probably appreciate this to hear them interview two players one back to back with another in two different languages with the assumption that the entire audience listening to this match doesn't need translation which they did not provide from one language to another it's just kind of very impressive right like it we've we've watched a couple games in mls where they've done kind of a simulcast translation on the fly where it'll be they'll interview a player in spanish and the the reporter will on the fly translate their interview back to english like, but this wasn't that. This was, we're going to interview this dude in French, we're going to interview this dude in Flemish, and we assume everyone in the audience understands what they're saying. I thought that was cool. Listeners, this past Saturday at PayPal Stadium in San Jose Earthquakes, the Colorado Rapids were defeated by the San Jose Earthquakes by a score of 1-0. Bit of a lineup shift here for the Colorado Rapids, Mark, obviously, with the absence of Diego Rubio due to his red card against... 
Portland Timbers. It was a back four. Keegan Rosenberry lost to Bubakar, Austin Trusty, and Lucas Estevez returning after a minor injury that kept him out of the starting lineup for the last two games. No Jack Price and no Kellen, <laughs> Kellen Acosta, excuse me, no Jack Price and no Danny Wilson for the Colorado Rapids. It was William Yarbrough in goal. It was a midfield three of Mark Anthony K, Colin Warner, and Brian Acosta. And then front three, it was Jossie Zardes uh, up top, and then Max on the right, and Jonathan Lewis on the left. Kind of a crazy game, Mark. Chaos from the San Jose Earthquakes, albeit not in a man-marking kind of way. They were in a 4-1-4-1. Both teams were very frantic with the ball. Both teams were impatient with the ball and very direct. And that led to a lot of immediate turnovers upon winning it. Not a lot of very good build-out out of the back from either team, but especially the Burgundy boys and ultimately the chances that were going to be created were going to be out of mistakes, mismanagement, and chaos. And the first really good one of those came from K. Cowell, who got in behind, tried to wound, round William Yarborough, but didn't really have a good shooting angle. He chips back to the middle of the area, and then Lopez commits a foul, and the Colorado Rapids get out of dodge. Keegan Rosenberry with the first of several frustrating officiating calls from Tori Penso uh, in the 39th minute where Rosenberry is trying to get out in transition upfield and he is pushed into a San Jose Earthquakes defender by a San Jose player and he's called for a foul or if anything it's a foul and Armando Villarreal last week Mark would have called that a yellow card uh, you know for having Keegan Rosenberry barrel into the lower body of one of the San Jose center backs. Um, Kate Cowell hits the post on the 44th minute off of a um, transition playoff of a turnover. William Yarbrough kind of caught flat-footed on that. And then second half was even messier, Mark. Jeremy Abobasi gets in behind and shoots, and William Yarbrough with one of several really good saves on a run from Kate Cowell three minutes into the second half. Lala Sabubakar appears to re-aggravate his hamstring issue. And Robin Frazier is forced into a double substitution, going back to five at the back, three at the back, mostly five for me, folks, um, with William, uh, with Drew Moore and Gustavo Vallecilla summing in uh, a Bobasi with another really good opportunity in the 58th. Ultimately, the goal from the San Jose Earthquakes, ironically, comes on a short free kick off of a corner that Nathan beats Trusty to and then ultimately scores at the near post for the San Jose Earthquakes. And then obviously big climactic moment for the Colorado Rapids came in the 74th minute off of a redirected chance to Mark Anthony K shoots on goal. And then Nathan, the goal scorer for the San Jose Earthquakes, uh, blocks the ball and then appears to have the ball go off his upper bicep, maybe just below the shoulder blady area of his arm. Ball goes down and then is cleared. Shouts for a PK. Play gets stopped. There is a momentary delay, but ultimately VAR does not have Mrs. Penso go to the monitor. And San Jose Earthquake get out of dodge. Uh... Mark, uh, this game, I feel like I've said this three pods in a row, did not have a really good narrative easily for us to bookmark into good thing, bad thing, big thing. I guess, where do you want to start and why is it the penalty shout? Oh, um, I am the really unpopular guy that nobody likes uh, at the party. I am the turd in the punch bowl, guys. The, the play as I saw it was both ball the hand and also was on the upperest part on the upper arm which generally is regarded by most folks as the shoulder and therefore i didn't think it was a penalty so i have to admit though that when i see everyone i know on twitter including richard fleming who is one of those uh 
rare commentators for the home team that is not really a homer all think that we got jobbed on the call, I do give pause, right? I do think to myself, like, maybe I got it wrong. Um, so I'm like, but I would say I'm less convinced. The other thing I'll say is this, and Matt, you and I both say this a lot, a lot, a lot. When you're relying on one kicked call to save your game, to give you a 1-1 draw, when you didn't really produce much of anything the rest of the game, it's pathetic, right? Like, we have one win in seven matches. We shouldn't be crying over the fact that uh, Tori Penso didn't give us the call that we wanted that would have possibly saved the game for ourselves and, and gotten us out of San Jose with a 1-1 draw. Like, that's not the way it's supposed to go down, you know? So um, I'm not like, uh, I'm not as convinced as I was two days ago about this, but I do still think like, I still think it wasn't really a PK. Um, Matt, your take on the PK call? I want to start with the pool reporter question. I want to give a shout ah, out. I guess I guess combined credit to uh, myself and to Brendan Ploen from the Denver Post. Uh, Mark, we need to figure out. I, I need to talk to the NASR and we need to update um, who our pool reporters are. The ones that we have for the Colorado Rapids, at least one of them, I know for a fact, is no longer covering the team. And I feel like the person who is the beat reporter for the Denver Post should be one of those people and should be able to submit themselves. But Brendan and I were DMing during uh, the final 10 minutes of the game. We both kind of had curiosities about it. I initially, Mark, based on the live feed and then the re the slow-mo replay of the live feed. So from the angle that is the your standard center line wide shot angle for soccer games at PayPal Stadium. I thought that it was I thought that was right on the upper area of the shoulder blade and then thus was in the area that based on the laws of the game would have deemed uh hand to ball or I should say or uh hand shoulder to ball and therefore not a handball. Having said, Brendan and I agreed it'd be better to get clarity, and I've gotten very, very good at wording these things in a way that Pro does not get mad at me or stop taking my pool reporter questions. So here is the response that Brendan and I got back from MLS and Pro. During the game, uh, the match official crew observed the ball make contact with the San Jose defender's upper arm. They deemed that such contact had happened at the boundary line of the arm as defined by the laws of the game at a point where contact with the arm is not considered a handball offense. Consequently, no penalty was awarded. For those of you who aren't sure what we're talking about, <clears throat> I'll include a link in the show notes to an instant replay video um, that Andrew Reby does where he believes that it's a penalty call. Um, that includes a, a nice little graphic here. Crudely, there's a an upper part of the area just above the main part, the, the main bulge in the bicep for most human beings. Um, and then crudely can, depending on the player, roughly align with the upper half of the sleeve away from the jersey. And then that is Dean Ball the hand. You see it from a few different angles, Mark. Uh, Inside Rapids had a really good screenshot of the behind and to the side of the goal view. I think it looks pretty clear that it's going off the bicep. Is it at, it is at the boundary to, to use it, to use pro's own words. Um, It is at the point where contact of where contact of the arm is not considered a handball offense in the same way that like the 
that like the upper like the side section of where no part of the soccer ball being put down for a corner is directly touching any of the quarter circle paint of the corner but like the closest third of the ball is open or the upward plane of that paint and then therefore is in the right position it therefore is deemed valid in terms of where the ball is for a corner kick to be taken I think the ball is the center of the ball is certainly more on the arm on the center of the bicep so for me Mark I think it's close I think to, to give credit to VAR and to the reality of the situation, it is close. But based on the laws of the game, I think it's mostly over his bicep. I think there's direct contact with the bicep and the middle of it rather than the upper part or certainly any part of the area that we would anatomically deem the shoulder. And so for that, it's me. For that, for me, it is a penalty. I think the Rapids have a right to be hard done by in that the most significant call of the game from the officiating was against them. And Mark, I think it's it's worth pointing out that the Rapids have felt aggrieved in these scenarios or in these 50-50 calls in the past. I could point to the non-PK call from Mark Anthony K going down in the box at Pitts Giving. That being said, Mark, you and I are equally somewhat disliked by the community and MLS Twitter in general because we tend to give the officials the benefit of the doubt. We tend to defend them or point out when they do a good job. As we talked about last week, I think VAR got it right in terms of the call that ultimately went against the Rapids, but I think VAR got this one wrong. That being said, Mark, let's get to, you know, again, if you're pointing out to the major issue, the Colorado Rapids generated all of 0.8 uh, XG, according to MLSsoccer.com, the most significant one was about a 17% chance of being a goal on a right-footed shot by Giassi Zardes in the 70th minute, and then no other opportunity for the Colorado Rapids had a greater than 10% chance or a greater than 8% chance of being a goal, which highlights the fact that for another game, especially on the road against a lesser opposition, the Colorado Rapids were not dictating play. The Rapids were reactionary. They had no control in the midfield. San Jose was playing the game that they wanted to, and the Rapids never really adjusted. And you think, Mark, with, oh, maybe, you know, maybe Lawson Bocard isn't at 100% or able to give his all because of the injury that he's dealing with. So then, okay, let's go back to a formation and a shape that the Rapids are more familiar with. And maybe it's Gustavo Viasina still being new to the team. Maybe it's the fact that, you know, Drew Moore is older. Maybe there was just still a shock to it. I felt like the Rapids got worse after the adjustment. When you think the adjustment of bringing off a player who's on the brink of injuring himself, bringing on a veteran player, bringing on a young player who's had good moments and moving to a shape that the Rapids are familiar with and particularly getting another man back to cover more space so that Ibobasi or Cade Cal or Christian Espinoza doesn't have as much open space in the channels to go to, the Rapids actually got worse, and it's it's almost fitting in how bad it was that the goal came after that switch. Um, I, I like your original comment, which was that the game lacked kind of like control and flow. San Jose pressed a lot, um, especially at the beginning. And there wasn't a good sense for the Rapids to kind of settle in and get rhythm. You're also right, Matt, that they, they've come, come out of their... San Jose has come out of their man-marking system. They were in really more of like a man-pressing system. Um, uh, another thing that I noticed about this game that I thought was notable... I don't know if I can make much of it, but like there was a moment at which I looked at like the Rapids' front four or front five. And it was Jossie Zardes and Brian Acosta... And Mark Anthony K and Max, 
and um, Lucas Estevez, um, all kind of in the fore of the, the, the stadium. And I thought to myself, none of these guys were at the Rapids 12 months ago. Like the, this, that, that entire list of guys were all new. And so a thought that I had, and this could be totally wrong, but it's just like trying to find new riffs on what's wrong with the Colorado Rapids right now um, was maybe these guys haven't integrated yet. Like maybe they don't really know the system and maybe they don't really have, I mean, they definitely don't have cohesion with each other because most of those guys never play with one another. But like, you know, the most effective attacker in the first half was the aforementioned Jonathan Lewis, um, who had a nice play down the left side and a nice shot on the goal. Um, and Mark Anthony Kay had also had a really nice shot in the first 20 minutes. Um, but after that, there wasn't really much to report. And there wasn't really much to report for the rest of the game. If you go back and look at the highlights uh, that MLS threw up, uh, in four and a half minutes of highlights, there's only one shot by the Rapids. There's, there's, um, there's, uh, and then there's the penalty. Um, but other than that, there's, it's like uh, four minutes and it's like eight shots by San Jose and just two by the Rapids. It doesn't look very compelling. Um, so uh, those are a couple thoughts. It's just like, we don't, we didn't look, we definitely didn't look comfortable. Um, we didn't get a lot of time on the ball. We didn't really get to develop things, especially in the first 70 minutes. Um, and what that meant was we kind of like jammed it up the field. You know, we got, we got up to right back and then into the middle of the field. And then we jammed it forward to left wing to see if like something would happen out of that. And, and that kind of frenetic pace that you were mentioning when you were giving your comments, um, you know, is something that I don't think we've been forced into um, playing very quickly, playing, uh, playing through and kind of like skipping the midfield um, and just like, you know, launching like long 30 yard balls forward um, is not something we've done a lot of and that we're, we're typically very comfortable with in the last two years, honestly. And, Maybe that's because we couldn't dictate tempo, like you were saying, and maybe that maybe that we need to learn on the road if we're going to lack possession and we're not going to be able to dictate tempo, we need to have a different style. Like we need to have uh, mixing metaphors with sports here. We need to have another club in our bag, which is like if we can't dictate tempo, then we need to be able to have a second style that we play with when we lack possession um, and we're going to be different. We didn't defend very well. We didn't attack very well. We didn't pass very well. We didn't possess very well. We didn't set piece very well. We didn't really do anything very well. And thus, we lost. Yeah, all really good points there, Rabbi. Um, uh, I want to point out some positives. Um, William Yarbrough, I thought, had yes. his best game of the season. Several really spectacular saves. Yeah, I think he was trying to communicate. I think there was an early chance for San Jose, maybe 10, 15 minutes in, where he was doing his usual wake up and then focus. Yeah, he literally said wake up. Well said. I, I read the lips, too. Yes. So uh, he was he was trying to be a solution to the problem. And I think in the absence of his ability to communicate out and to organize the Rapids to prevent fires, he was forced into firefighting and he did a yeoman's job. I don't fault him at all for the goal. I don't think the Rapids did a very good job <coughs> defending that set piece. They did not get once they saw that it was going short. Nobody goes to try and press with the ball. Christian Espinosa has all the time and space to pick out his pass. And Austin Trusty's had a really good year. Mark, I've consistently said I think Austin Trusty's the best defender on the or he's certainly the best center back on the Rapids. But Danny Wilson is the most important center back on the Rapids, and Trusty just got straight beat 
you know, he was one step behind Nathan and Nathan had an easy finish. I think if Trusty is on the goal side of him, maybe he has, you know, a little bit of frustration there. Maybe he's able to get, you know, to the ball there. The fact that it doesn't go up in the air, I think certainly doesn't suit Trusty. He's better in the air with his head than I think he would be trying to get to that ball with his foot without clattering into Nathan in a way that would give Penso, um, you know, having to put them in a position to make a decision eventually, but, you know, set pieces continue to be an area where there's inconsistencies from the Rapids from game to game and through the 90 minutes. They didn't do a whole lot in this game, not that they had that many set piece opportunities, and it's worrying that they were giving up set pieces. I guess the one little thing that I would say about that is that was with Viasia, who's new to the team, and as we'll get to in an interview that I'm getting to, folks, uh, Chris Sharpie is borderline a set piece like offensive and defensive coordinator for the Rapids and he has playbooks and maybe Viasia just didn't know the particular playbook and again this is still all of this is happening without Jack Price and Danny Wilson who for me are the most important defensive players to this team uh I thought Zardis did an okay job mark in terms of I felt the team did a better job of getting him the ball in dangerous areas as the game went through. But for the most part, he was on an island. He was matched up against the two center backs. Other than that one shot that he kind of flubbed on, he had one decent one that forced a save out of Marcinkowski. He wasn't really able to be dangerous. There wasn't a whole lot of space for him to work in. And he also didn't have a whole lot of sport support in terms of players around him. I imagine he would get more of both of those with Diego Rubio, which links me to my biggest point in this one, Mark. You know, there was a quote from Robin Frazier after the game where I asked him about, you know, the absence of Diego Rubio. And he said, you know, he's been our, the most significant attacking player for the Colorado Rapids in terms of goals and in terms of goal chances. And the Rapids without Diego Rubio are borderline impotent in the final third in terms of creating chances when they're able to put them into good areas. The players they have, the only one who's converting them has been Diego Rubio, and in terms of an individual player creating a chance for themselves or for somebody else, I think the only two that have been, I think the only two starters who've been remotely effective have been Mark Anthony Kay and Diego Rubio, and the only one who's really done it off the bench, usually when the game state suits him, has been Michael Barrios. Diego Rubio has four goals and one assist this season. He has been directly involved in five of the 11 goals for the Colorado Rapids. He is directly responsible for 50% of this team team's offense, and I'm not surprised in that, Mark, that the Colorado Rapids offense relative to the Portland Timbers game was uh, mathematically cut in half in terms of goal production. Anything else you want to say, Rabbi? Nope, I think you got it. Uh, I also want to point out, Mark, what did we think of Max? I think with a, a second start out there, and I think he has not looked as good since the CCL game compared to how he was in the two games in CCL. I guess, you know, is it he is being played a little bit out of position for me, Mark, in an actual wide position rather than a midfield role that allows him to stretch out wide. He was also kind of stretched a little bit again, maybe because of the chaos. He didn't do a very good job with dealing with the pressing from an attacking standpoint. What did you what did you make of his 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 night? I kept seeing him play deep. I thought that was really odd. Like they would lay out three three there were there were a couple of plays in the first half, a bunch of plays in the first half where the front two midfielders were Brian Acosta and Mark Anthony Kay. And I was like, why is Max the deep sitting? I don't I didn't understand it. Um he um he also does a thing that's really common in um attacking midfielders, even though he was kind of sitting middle or deep which is he kind of ghosts, you know, uh, which is, a, it's a really common tactic. You know, we saw um, 
uh, uh, Zlatan do it for his entire career with the Galaxy, which is um, not play defense. And 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 by say by saying not play defense, I'm not damning him. Really good players. I mean, Messi does it too. Ronaldo does it a ton um, with Manchester United, which is watch Ronaldo when he's off the ball, when the opponent has the ball, he's not really trying to think or position himself in a defensive way. He's trying to find a spot where he can spring into the attack in the best possible way. If the ball's turned over, he's ready to go. Max did that, but he wasn't really in any useful space. So his off ball movement seemed kind of uh, naive. I don't know if that sounds overly critical for a 45 year old man who's sitting in his basement right now and does not play professional soccer. Uh, you know what I mean? Like I assume that like maybe higher thinking soccer folks would say, no, no, here's what he's doing. But like for me, his kind of invisibility in this game was by a certain tactical naivete or a sense of like, he thinks he's going to be the attacking guy, but really he's just cutting himself out. That was my take. That's very harsh, by the way. And I do think it's still small sample size. We haven't seen a lot out of him yet. But, like, folks are throwing around the bust word with Max already. Um, and it feels a little early, but I'm definitely getting nervous. And I also think there was an observation that he had a really great game in the CCL against um, Comunicaciones, and he's been invisible since then. I also think against Comunicaciones, like... They weren't that great a team, and we should have pummeled them. And so he looked good against them, and most of the rest of the team didn't. And now he's playing against superior opposition, and he doesn't look that great. So we're still trying to wait, wait and see who the real Max is. But, you know, Brian Galvan didn't do much for his first six months with the Rapids, and we all miss the heck out of him right now. Yeah, I think it's I think it's way too early, you know, because Barky would have gotten here. It would have been in February when CCL's been here. So let's say middle of February. So February, March, April, May. We're not even what we're three, four months into his time with the Colorado Rapids. I think it is way too premature for us to make any judgment about um, about Max yet. Um, and I think the last thing, Mark, is I think Robin's points kind of summed it up and i think we'll show we've seen where the rapids feel like the world's against them and the officiating's against them and you know they're just they're not the darlings of mls we see them respond usually when they have a very good opportunity to do so we saw it in the game against Atlanta earlier this year, as we'll get to in a few minutes, they have a great opportunity with the DGW, albeit in two different competitions to do that. But two quotes that really stuck out from Remark that showed kind of salty, like punchy Robin Frazier in a good way that I think summed up how he feels, how the team feels, and ultimately how they're going to respond. Uh, quote, as I said, we didn't play particularly well, but when we do enough to earn a point, only to have it taken away from you, that's really tough. That's a really tough one to swallow. Anybody who looked at the non-penalty call who thinks it wasn't a penalty, feel free to contact me. And then let me see if I have the other really good one here. Quote, that's one thing about this team that I've always lauded is the resiliency. They feel hard done. They feel like they've been cheated. And hopefully this will rep propel them forward to come out Wednesday with a ton of anger and just get on with the next thing because this this was this was not well received. So and that's referring to what was not well received in the locker room or from the team was the officiating 
decision. Um, last question that I have, if I'm not mistaken, Mark, that would have been an opportunity for Dogso. So not only a penalty, but potentially a red card as well for Nathan. So I think if they had determined that it was intentional, um, my, my sense is that the laws of FIFA don't are, weren't originally intended to allow a player who commits handball in the box for Dogso to do anything but get a red card. Like it was an automatic red card, but I feel like a, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you know of anything different, but that there was a small change to the rules made two years ago by FIFA that somehow allowed for discretion by the referee to give that as a yellow. But you're right. I mean, that could have ended up totally catastrophically different for San Jose than it did. Yeah, I think it's intent. I, I think the intent in there is the key thing, Mark. I think the big thing that FIFA changed a few years ago was it wasn't automatically what they deemed double jeopardy. So a handball in a box that would have been on goal that was deemed dog so is not no longer automatically a red card and then a penalty. It's up to the discretion. I think the fact that you have the arm outstretched and regardless of intent, the player is making himself big. You know, again, I would have said I would have given you a coin flip on the red card and absolutely a penalty, but clearly I don't know anything. But um, if you watched the uh, if you watched the Toronto Vancouver game on Sunday, Mark, you saw that it was not a good weekend for MLS Pro or VAR. But enough about this game, Rabbi. Shall we move on? Indeed, we've got a lot of soccer coming up. Yes, listeners. Uh, this past week, I spoke with Giassi Zardis, asked him a few questions about how he's getting on with the Colorado Rapids, uh, how he's getting settled on and off the field and what he makes of his current environment. Uh, we will play that interview now. This conversation happened prior to the game against the San Jose Earthquakes. I want to start with, uh, how's it going? You've had a couple weeks in training and everything, getting settled off the field. What's all that looking like? Yeah, no, um, it, it's been good. Um, you know, getting used to the altitude, but more importantly, getting used to my teammates. It's been, it's been incredible, an incredible two weeks of training. Actually, it's one week. Actually. I'm thinking it's two weeks, but it's, it's been um, you know, my first actual true week of training. And it, it's been great just getting used to um, – you know, the training, the training facility, the players, the coaches, uh, the training sessions, understanding, you know, what are they asking um, of their front attacking players. So I've just been trying to learn as much as I can um, as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, what have been your initial impressions of Robin Frazier now that he's your manager? Oh, I, I love I love learning more under uh, under Robin. You know, he sees the game. Uh, much differently than other coaches, and I, I really, I really value trying to learn as much as I can from coaching, uh, from from coaches, because their ultimate, their goal is to ultimately make you a better player, and that's that's what I'm striving for, just to to, to become a better player and and read the game different. Mm -hmm. uh, I've spoken with Robin's a tough one to pin down in terms of where he starts from his coaching tree. Maybe the most thoughtful ways that he talks about other coaches of his past have been Greg Vanny, who he worked with in Toronto, and then Bruce Serena, who you're familiar with from his time uh, for your time in the LA Galaxy. There are some obvious differences between Bruce and Robin, but do you see any good similarities there between the two? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I love I love the way. I love the way how they interact with their players, you know, um, how they communicate with their players and, and how to get through to their players. That, that's always been a key observation I always, 
I always uh, noted or, or, you know, took it to consideration because ultimately um, communication is the key, but having the players understand your information and vice versa, the coach understanding the player and where they're coming from, um, that, that goes a long way. Lalo Sabubakar is a player who you'll be familiar with from your time in Columbus, and he came to Colorado initially on loan, I think, looking for an opportunity to play. And he's blossomed into, I think, a key piece of this team and a key piece of this locker room. Um, how different are the Lawless that you said goodbye to in Columbus and the Lawless that you've now said hello again to in Colorado? Oh, yeah, man. It, it's, uh, it's incredible seeing, seeing Lawless now, you know, the way – he reads the game the way he dictates um, the the build up. You know the build up play starts with him and, and the decisions he's making by by reading which opponent is attacking him. Just just seeing how clever he has become, it's just amazing to see his growth. You know he's I've always thought the world of him because he's a solid defender and he's a defender that loves to get stuck in. You know um, as a forward, we always note that. Uh, which defenders get stuck in the tackles and stuff and games and training sessions. But, you know, it's been incredible just to watch him grow. And I'm, I'm happy to, to be on, on the team with him again to, to be his teammate. Uh, Lawless has great hair. Uh, Michael Barrios also has great hair. You've spoken um, in the past. I'm sure you've been asked so many times about the story behind it. Um, the you know the the blonde racing stripe that you have in the middle. But I'm curious about the routine in terms of how much product you're putting into it and how often is it getting retouched up. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, man, I always say I make a funny joke. I always I always say like I have nobody to impress. You know, so um, I usually. I just put gel in it, you know, when I, every day, our leave-in conditioner, just to keep the blonde healthy. Um, but I usually just get every two months, every two months I'll go in and, and you know, have it re-dyed uh, just to touch it up. Or, I mean, I've been wanting to grow it out for a while, but um, I just haven't made it yet. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, Mikey might have to give you um, a few recommendations on that front. You mentioned other than some of the crew guys having some relationships with a few of the other players, you refer to Jonathan Lewis as J-Law, which I assume is not something you'd do if you had just met him uh, that morning. Tell me about, you know, who are the other guys who you either know from maybe BPC or just around the league or national team call-ups or other stuff? Yeah, so obviously I know uh, Keegan Rosenberry. I knew him for some time. Um with uh with the national team Austin Trusty um I've always played against like Bedisher and Drew Moore you know as I've I've been a part of the league and they've been on different teams um this is my first time actually being on a team with those guys and connecting with them um when I look in that locker room who else I mean obviously played against Mark uh Mark K um who else is in that locker room ah uh, yeah Mikey um played against him um a bunch when he was at Dallas you know, um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been around the league for a while, and a lot of these guys have been around the league for a while as well. And we, Our paths always cross as opponents, but it, it's pretty cool just to, to be a part of their team now, you know, and not be their opponent. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you've been pretty open about your faith and the influence that it has on you as a person. Uh, the last couple of years have been difficult for any member of society. Obviously, 2020 must have been a difficult year for any professional athlete with the MLS's back tournament and then how things were being handled. And then you've had some adversity with injuries and obviously now, you know, maybe the the end of your time with Columbus Crew, maybe not going the way that it could have. How has your religion and your faith helped you be a grounded person at times when you have adversity on or off the field? Tremendously, man. Just being a man of faith. Um, you know, in, in life, things sometimes things go your way and sometimes things don't. But, you know, when that depends, God has a plan for you, regardless of any situation you're placed in. Um, it helps free your mind of all the stress and anxiety anxiety and, 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 and things of this world, you know, because, um, you know, like I said before, because God has a plan for me, I know he's going to take care of me with every decision I make, every, everything I'm doing. Um, you know, as long as I, I just give it my all, it, it, it's so much bigger than like, it, it's so much bigger than the game, you know? Um, that's why I like it. I don't know if you see my post, like every, every game I'm always like, I, I give God glory because, you know, one, not everybody has the opportunity to do what I do. And especially being a professional athlete, being able to stay healthy, being able to play games, you know, um, being able to, uh, whatever it may be, you know, um, I always give God the glory because I'm thankful that he's given me the opportunity to, to inspire kids, to the opportunity to play this beautiful game, to score goals, to win championships. So, um, you know, that's, that's just a little glimpse of, you know, my mind frame and, and the way I think in a man of faith. Community service has also been a big part of your life. You know, as any Rapids fan right now could Google Giassi's artist Hawthorne, California, and know about the influence you had on that as your hometown community. And then also in Columbus as well. Um, how big is community service either for you, maybe as a person, maybe more so as a an athlete? And do you have any initial plans for how you want to go about that here in Denver? Oh, yeah. Community service is huge, man. That that's, I view that as my way of giving back, you know. Um I've all like my one of my key models is inspiring the next generation. But how can you inspire the next generation if if you're not helping the community where the next generation lives and stuff? So I've I've always told myself like whichever market I'm playing in, I want to do whatever I can to help that community. You know, because if I'm help, if even if I change one person's life, that that's the goal. You know, um, and 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 little interactions when I was growing up, you know, I remember some, like one interaction changed my whole perspective on things and, and had me dreaming about, you know, one day becoming a professional athlete or dreaming about um, things that I've achieved and accomplished. So I'm all about helping out the community because in the end, it's all about that next generation of, of kids that are growing up um, and, and, and going to live life after you, you know? Mm -hmm, absolutely. Uh, you're now joining a team that has a number of individuals who are pretty active with Black Players for Change. You know, obviously Robin Frazier as well. Um, as your head coach, do you have any plans for how you're going to be involved with that organization or what's coming up with that this year? Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it, yeah, Black Players for Change. It's, it's an incredible. Um, it's incredible just to be a part of that. Uh, for me, I was I was 
doing stuff in the Columbus market. But now that I'm here, uh, I'm going to try to, once I get settled here, I'm going to try to connect, you know, with on the thread with some of the members of Black Players for Change just to see what, what opportunities there are here and um, in Denver, you know, because that's huge too, um, you know, being able to communicate with younger individuals that look like me and, and grow and, 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 you know, growing up from the same areas that I grew up in and, you know, trying to make an impact in their lives, you know, so that's going to be another goal or another task that I'm going to try to connect with as soon as I get settled here in Denver. You're wearing the number 29. Most MLS fans will know you from the number 11. You wore it in Los Angeles. You wore it in Columbus. I did a quick Google search, Yasi, and I found a couple of photos of you in a Galaxy kit, maybe your early couple years there wearing 29. Is it just a coincidence, or is there some significance that 29 has you wearing it again? Yeah, so uh, obviously number 11 was taken, you know. Uh, Number 11 was taken, number 9 was taken, so... I was like, you know what? 29 is a uh, is one of is my first my first professional number and I really wanted to to get the number 29 as opposed to other 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 lower numbers that were available um just cuz that that number means a lot to me. It's my first professional number. Was there when you wore that for the Galaxy was it just the was it just the first number available? Did the, you know did the kick guy just randomly assign it to you? Yeah, yeah. When you when at least when we got drafted with the Galaxy, you gotta you gotta sign the number if you're a rookie. Um, primarily, like I was a striker, and um, I was a striker. And number nine, they didn't players didn't really wear number nine with the Galaxy. Um, it was a running joke saying that that number was cursed, which was funny. But um, I, I they just gave me twenty nine, and I I ran with it until Pat Noonan retired, and then I transitioned to number eleven. And then from there on out, um, when I got traded to Columbus Crew, uh, 11 was available, and I went with that as well. Okay. Um, you know, obviously, w- one benefit for you for this move is getting to play more and hopefully score some more goals and maybe get Greg Berhalter something to think about when it comes time for the national team in the World Cup. You have an existing relationship with him going back to his final, your first year in Columbus. Um, are you regularly in communication with Greg? Uh, has he said anything about the move or what is he hoping to see out of you, um, you know, for you to get back into the national team? Yeah, you know, um, you know, so so many people reached out to me when I got traded, and, and he he was one of them. You know, just congratulating me on the move, and um, you know, obviously, I know when it comes to the national team, um, you have it's in, nothing is given to you. You have to perform, you have to earn it, and you know, this move for me, it's 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 a great move. Um, I'm gonna try to compete every day at training so I can have an opportunity to play in games, and then if I play in games, I'm gonna compete and give it my all so that you know I, I play extremely well score goals um, give assists and help the team win more importantly and and hopefully have you know uh, a roster spot in the future camps um, but I know I have to work for it you know Mm-hmm. Um, you're officially listed at six foot two. You're pretty decent in the air from what I remember. I don't know that there's another team that unofficially has like a set pieces offensive coordinator in Chris Sharpie. How, you know, how are you doing in terms of your understanding of set pieces and how much are you looking forward to what that could be this year? Oh man, the set pieces, it's a lot of information. Um, it's very, 
it's a lot of information. It's very detailed. So I've been trying to do my best to learn um, as much as possible because little details in a set piece could change the game. You know, you can score the winning goal from a set piece. Um, and it's all from, you know, the, the work that Sharpie does and, and, and the, the, the plays that the players run. So I'm going to continue to try to learn that playbook um, both offensively and defensively and, you know, make sure I get it right come this weekend. I want to be clear with this next question. I'm not asking anything about Caleb Porter's recent comments. You know, he mentioned that he, you know, uh, gave you an apology, and I'll let that stand between the two of you. But uh, he was a head coach who helped you get back to being a prominent striker in Major League Soccer after your injury and then coming to Columbus. You know, he was the head coach for you winning MLS Cup. When you look back at it, what influence will Caleb have had on your career and you as a person? Yeah, like you said, you know, I won, I won an MLS Cup with Caleb and I'll never forget that you know when you win when you win certain things with coaches it's it, uh you're leaving behind a legacy you know so I'm thankful I had an opportunity to be a part of of that team and also win that MLS Cup with Caleb and uh as I look back you know I felt like in my career I grew as a striker it's uh and that that's always been you know a key a key mind frame of mine is just growing and and I was able to do that so I'm thankful for that You've had success in the playoffs. You've scored in an MLS Cup final. Um, the Rapids have had success in the regular season. They're still working on the playoff aspect of it. Um, have the guys asked you about that? Is there any little tidbits of the runs that you've gone on with Columbus, with L.A., you know, that you think you can bring to help the team get over that hump when the time comes at the end of the season? Yeah, we haven't really spoken about that um, in the locker room because our our focuses have been on – the next games to come, like, for example, we play San Jose this weekend. So um, that's been the, the, the focus, at least when I communicate with them and talk with them. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to help this team uh, try to win the MLS Cup. Jossi, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I look forward to speaking with you in the future, and I look forward to watching you play on Saturday. Thank you. I appreciate it. And we're back holding the high line with Rabbi in Red. Thank you again to Giassi's artist and Omar Gonzalez, uh, communications director for the Colorado Rapids, for setting up that conversation. Listeners, I hope you liked it. Mark, let's get to it. Uh, this coming Wednesday, the Colorado Rapids will be playing Minnesota United again in the U.S. Open Cup. This would be, what, the fourth round, the fifth round. It's the round of 32. I know that much is true. Um, and then on the weekend, uh, we'll be having a afternoon game in Espanol and Ingles on the Twitter machine, uh, or the Elon machine, uh, the Colorado Rapids will be playing LAFC. Mark, let's start with the Open Cup. You and I are massive Open Cup heads. We thankfully were able to watch the previous round with no stress because there was no concern about the Colorado Rapids going on the road to a USL championship team and being cup set. I guess technically this also wouldn't be a cup set because it's an MLS team and it's a road team. And I believe Minnesota is ahead of the Colorado Rapids on the standing. So if anything, there's no pressure on the Rapids. The Rapids are hopeless underdogs that nobody believes in. That would be a spin that Adrian Heath would absolutely love uh, head coach for the uh, loons. Mark, what do we make of this game given how many injuries and how much fixture congestion we're going to have between last Saturday and this coming Saturday? Should this really be Rapidos versus the Looney Tunes? Um, 
it would be really good to see some squad rotation here, although it is hard to figure out uh, whether... I mean, you don't throw in the towel on the regular season this early, but you definitely think to yourself, like, well, if we're not going to contend for MLS Cup, maybe we need to start our starters and make a really good run at U.S. Open Cup. I think the reason most managers don't... um, put a lot of I think they play a lot of uh bench players at this stage of the game is that it feels like it's a promise you know that it feels like they owe their players the opportunity to get a chance and so they let them know like oh don't worry you'll get a, a fair amount of run in the open cup I mean this is a really great opportunity though for some of our favorite young rapids players who we really hope to see kind of play in this game. Um, I think most of the fans would like to see coming off the bench, if not starting, Darren Yapi, Yaya Torre, Philip Mayaka, Sebastian Anderson. Um, those are the names that we all, I think, want to see out there. Everybody else, I think, is, um, is, is, is a question mark, especially considering Colin Warner and Brian Acosta, who are bench players, started in this last game. Um, and that we're a little bit depleted. Now, from a Minnesota perspective, there are a lot of questions. Um, they've been pretty decent. They are, like you said, Matt, in seventh place. They have a pretty decent roster, um, and they they look like they, they might ultimately kind of put some things together this year. Um, you know, Tyler Miller is their backup goalkeeper. He's a really talented guy, um, long career in Major League Soccer. You've got a deep bench of um, defenders, including Kamar Lawrence, uh, O'Neill Fisher, uh, Brent Coleman, um, who will probably start in this game. You've got guys like Ja'Cory Hayes and Will Trapp. Um, Hassani Dotson is out for the season with a, a, a I think it's a torn ACL, if, that's, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they just they also just traded Chase Gasper to the LA Galaxy mark, so they are relatively thin at outside back, especially given the injury. Yeah, um, and then there's a, a lot of questions up front. I mean, Abu Dunladi has been a guy off the bench forever, so this is the kind of game where he he ought to start. Um, and Frangipan has kind of played his way out of starting. Um, they've been going with Adrian Hunu and, and Robin Lod a little bit more recently. And Lod is always very dangerous, but I don't think he's going to play in this one. But I, I do think um, I'm interested to see what uh, Minnesota will bring because they, they don't – I don't think they have as much – depth is the rapids i could be wrong on that i don't know i'm not sure i i would say the uh, if you told me right now mark i could trade the colorado rapids homegrown academy rapids to set up and everything and the players in there versus minnesota united i absolutely would not do that given how i don't want to say toxic but certainly incomplete and outsourcing it maybe would be the the way that i would describe it um, for listeners who want more reading on that i could certainly recommend uh, a piece from jeff Ruder from the athletic but no I, I agree with you mark i think i think the the first team players need a break. I think you need to give Lalas Abubakar a full week. Obviously, I don't anticipate Danny Wilson or Jack Price playing in this one. I think you give the run the kids a run out and see what they can ultimately do. Maybe you incorporate it with a few other players. You know, if Robin Frazier at this point is pretty certain that Gustavo Viasia is not going to be starting with Lalas Abubakar's situation on the weekend, I think certainly you give him a start. 
I'd give Mike Edwards a start at the back. Every single one of the players that you mentioned, Mark, I would give a start out as well. Maybe have Nicholas Mesquita start this game and then come off for one of the other homegrowns. But I think this will be a this will be a, a meshing lineup where I'm going to say it'll probably be six players that we would more associate with Rapids two than with the first team, and then probably a hodgepodge bench depending on availability and what the team wants to do tactically and I wouldn't be surprised at all if the if the second team coaching staff is alongside Robin Frazier and making some collaborative decisions given how close and how familiar they are with other players I think Clint Irwin deserves a start Mark for uh, sure Marlboro has been fantastic uh, certainly last weekend, but I think he's been very good this season. I don't think there's any question of who the Rapids number one is right now, but I think Irwin deserves an opportunity. Um, you know, we'll see what Sebastian Anderson can do probably at an outside back position, but I think you play the kids. I think you see what they can do. Um, I, I like the, I like Rapids too more than I like, more than I like Looney Tunes too, or Looney Loons too. <laughs> if we do it, do we like that joke there, Mark saying that they're loons, but they're loony and then two tunes to be Looney Tunes or my it's pretty cheesy, but I'll allow it. I mean, I think you're you're adorable, Matt. And we need to embrace your adorability sometimes. Okay. Um. To the, I, I guess uh, if 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 you didn't like my dad joke, you're not listening to us anymore. And if you did like my dad joke, then I can keep making it. Um. So you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, honestly, Mark, I, I would rather see I would rather see clear evidence of progress from a Rapids to a homegrown a Philip Mayaka on the weekend that gives me hopes that they can do something for the first team in this game based on what they do against potential other fringe MLS talent that I would care about winning this more. Obviously, the Rapids don't have a very good history in terms of length and duration in the modern era of the Open Cup. Um, you know, they're I think they're the MLS team that has the most or the highest percentage of first round playing exits that they have. Obviously, this is against another MLS team who the Rapids have played recently, who the Rapids have lost to recently. So this, this feels like a loss. But if you told me that I would come out of this game, you know, let's say, Mark, the, the Rapids lose on penalties. But I see Sebastian Anderson go 90 minutes and I immediately think he is a way better player than I, what I remember from him last year or that Philip Mayaka is visibly a better player with Rapids 2 than he was with the switchbacks if I get a goal from Darren Yappi or Yaya Torre as well then at that point honestly you know I'm happy I would take ev- I would take clear evidence of improved performance and that the process and the system within the Colorado Rapids is working even if the performance doesn't reflect the result in terms of a bogus VAR call or something or the officials boggling it or just the the team not getting the result in spite of individual and collective performances that give me optimism but you know I think the as uh, we should get to this now I suppose Mark I think the big thing for me is not so much what happens on Wednesday but what's coming this Saturday shall we get to that Rabbi or do we want to keep talking open cup oh i should point out folks uh, at the same time as the rapids game which is wednesday at 6 p.m local time which i should point out this is on espn plus with no blockout so for a full week folks you don't have to worry about vpns or going to ivaca or getting an illegal stream or anything like that espn plus for the open cup game on wednesday and then national tv it is is it 2dn do i have that right it's univision for uh will be for most of you or any glass uh on the mls uh twitter live stream as well so a full week two rapids games and you get to watch both of them and not have a huge hassle with hashtag 
don't block my altitude. But at the same time as that game, Mark, is uh, Union Omaha hosting Northern Colorado Hailstorm, who beat RSL 1-0 in the previous round. I had an article on that. I'll include it in the show notes for those who want to check it out. So I think definitely Colorado Open Cup double screening, dual screen, dual devices on Wednesday for me, uh, Mark. The Hailstorm in their their first season ever as a soccer team could conceivably go further in the Open Cup than the Colorado Rapids, who've been around since 1996. Yes. Uh, okay, so uh, Mark, uh, anything else that you want to see out of this game on Wednesday? And then I guess, uh, would you like to hazard a prediction on the result for both Colorado teams? Oi, Gavalt. Uh I think that the Hailstorm are, I'm going to be awful. You're, nobody likes me today. I, I, I'm going to give, I'm going to give pessimistic uh, I'm going to give not what the fans want to hear about VAR calls, and I'm going to give pessimism about the Open Cup. Folks, we are terrible at Open Cup. We have no history of success in this uh, in this competition. I'm not forecasting us to have success in this competition either. And also, Union Omaha have a little bit more pedigree than the Hailstorm. I'm going to pick double losses for all the Colorado teams. The entire front range takes a schwacking. Minnesota wins this one 3-1. to one. Uh, and Omaha beats the Hailstorm one to nothing. Um, I'm going to predict the opposite, Mark. I think the state of Colorado is undefeated in the Open <laughs> Cup on Wednesday. Uh, give me the Rapids in penalties. How about how about uh, oh my. How, how about Clint Irwin standing on his head to send the Rapids through? And I think the I think the Hailstorm. Uh, you know, uh, uh, similar to the RSL game, I think they smash and grab Union Omaha on the road, and give me give me Shane McFall scoring the winner. So I'll take one nil to the Hailstorm, and then I'll say Colorado Rapids in penalties, and I'll say either with a goal from the run of play or in penalties. I think we'll get uh, I think we'll get Darren Yappi putting the ball in the net. Wow, <laughs> that would be exciting. Uh, the only other thing that I will say, Mark, I do have to give a, a quick fact check to you saying that the Rapids don't have any history in the Open Cup. They have made the Open Cup final. It was in 1999, but that history, of course, ended in the Rapids losing to the Rochester Raging Rhinos, best soccer team name ever. And that was when the Rhinos were in the American Soccer League, the ASL. And that is the last time that a non-MLS team has won the Open Cup. And I believe the only Open Cup win for a non-MLS team in the MLS era of the Open Cup. So maybe in that regard, Mark, the Rapids have history in terms of they're able to get to a final in the Open Cup, but they also have the worst history in that they are they were defeated in probably the biggest or the most significant trophy-winning cup set in the history of the competition for Major League Soccer teams. Listeners, as I mentioned earlier, this coming Saturday at Dick's Sporting Goods Park at 1.30 p.m. local time in Espanol and in Inglés, the Colorado Rapids will be taking on the current Supporters' Shield-leading Los Angeles Football Club. Uh, Mark, we are currently 10.34 through the Colorado Rapids 2022 season. That reduces down to 534. Uh, Rapids find themselves in ninth in the Western Conference, which is not very good. They have... Uh, 12 points off of 10 games played, a record of 3, 4, and 3. Decent formation. I guess I guess it's fitting, Mark, that their, their record is a literal empty bucket. Uh, they have a goal difference of minus 1, and at the Dick this season, they are 3, 0, and 1. LAFC, as I mentioned, currently leading a supporter shield race 
23 points off of 10 games played. Uh, they have a record of 7-1-2. and two. Their lone loss came on the road in El Trafico in a game that involved several VAR calls and Carlos Vela being offsides and LAFC Twitter was upset about it, even though I thought VAR ultimately got it right. Okay, in any case, their only loss was in a emotional rivalry game against a team that has been able to get results on them in said rivalry game. So, LAFC 7-1-2 and two on the season. They have a goal difference of plus 13, and away from the Bank of California Stadium, they are 3-1-0. and oh. Mark, I won't spend too much time going through their lineup and the team that they have. One, because it's not super changed um, from this past season, uh, and it certainly uh, has not changed significantly since last time the Colorado Rapids played them on the opening day. Uh, Chicho Rango's still there, although he's kind of cooled off. Carlos Vela is still very effective. They've been doing a little bit of a rotating cast in the midfield, and uh, their big defensive acquisition from the outside position, Mark Ryan Hollingshead, has fit in really nicely as a bench player. Uh, Mamadou Fall, Mark, I would argue, is in the running right now, early on, for Defender of the Year in Major League Soccer. And then Maxine Crepeau overall has been very excellent in goal. The only other big thing that I think is significant about LASC in terms of their narrative since last time the Burgundy Boys played them is that it's been a lot about second-half adjustments. I believe they have nine goals now scored by substitute, so nine of their... 23 goals scored, so roughly a little bit more than a third, not quite a half, uh, have been scored by players coming off the bench. And Steve Trundlow has done a very good job with second-half adjustments, second-half personnel decisions, and then also tweaking things tactically. And that has led to results for LAFC from substitutes and on set pieces, which unfortunately, Mark, is a, is a recipe that could complicate things for the Pids. Uh, what do we see in this game, Rabbi? Obviously, the significant thing here is both teams will be playing in the Open Cup, so we don't know how much that's going to change things. But this looks like a team that could play to the Rapids' disadvantages. Kellen Acosta, sure, is going to be motivated coming back for his first game since the trade. At DSG, this team's good on set pieces. They're good with secondary adjustments. And the only thing that we kind of have to hang on is maybe they'll hit a wall at the 75th minute because altitude? Maybe. It's a good It's a good question. I mean, I think um, I am surprised about everything about this team. I mean, there are a lot of things that I was, like, not expecting. Um, Elie Sanchez, who was uh, a deep-lying midfielder for... Um, Sporting Kansas City for a long time, switches it up, comes over to um, LAFC, and I think they probably thought he was going to be kind of veteran bench leadership, and he's actually had to have started a lot of games, and he's doing really good things for them. Um, in their last match, they came out in a 4-1-4-1. He was at the base of it, and Footmob had him as the kind of most valuable player, statistically speaking. Um, you know, Carlos Vela has a ton of points and goals, um, he's just really doing great things for them. Jose Cifuentes in, in midfield is is looking like a huge uh, improvement uh, over who they've had over the last couple of years. Latif Blessing is basically relegated to the bench uh, and coming in as that, like, you know, really great holding spark plug. Um, and like you said, Hollingshead solves that problem um, at fullback that they've had in the past. This is a very, very, very good team. Um, everything I thought about Steve Girondolo before the season started, no, no pedigree of, of experience in history with Las Vegas lights. Um, no indication that he's ready for this job. I was wrong. He seems fine. <laughs> they, they're doing well. Um, yeah, this is a really, really tough lift for the Rapids. 
this was our opening game of the season coming off of CCL, and we lost to LAFC three to nothing. And at no point in that game did we look good. Um, they know how to unsettle us, and that's unsettling as a commentator going into this game. Um, I also don't think we've had a lot of day games. Not that that means all that much, but it's just, you know, notable. You know, you'll have to, like, uh, get up early for this one, uh, especially if you went out drinking Friday night and you're a little hungover. Yeah, well, I guess if uh, if, if we're doing the full dare to Terry thing, then, Mark, I, I don't know that you go to bed. <laughs> or if anything, you, you nap in the car outside the Bulldog and then you just drive to the stadium. Because if, it, if it's one thirty, I have to imagine the C-38 tailgate, is that... Is that an eleven thirty? Is that a ten thirty? I don't. I I can't do day drinking like that anymore, especially not an empty stomach. It would have to be. I'd have to get up early, full breakfast, and then be eating lunch there. But to be fair, it's easy for a guy like Richard Terry because Terry is usually drinking for the early game in um in the English Premier League and just keeps drinking all the way through to the late game, and then he's got to hang around for four hours until the evening MLS game starts to get drunk all over again. You can just roll it all in together, Matt. You know, you can just go from the final EPL match right into the Rapids game and keep that buzz going. So it may actually take an e- take it easy on some of you, um, you know, serious, serious pint tossers. Yeah, I think the other thing to take into account, Mark, for afternoon games is the issues that you have that we've had with attendance in the past. Because typically, you know, if you're a big soccer person or a big soccer family, chances are, you know, I don't know if the Mark, you know more about the the youth schedule and whether or not there would be games at this time of the year with it being close to the end of the spring semester for school age children. But, you know, I'm wondering, you know, we've seen in the past these one o'clock, two o'clock kickoffs you know there's five to eight thousand butts in seats at the most in the stadium and how much of that is just simply to the fact that you know if you've got a family of four with season tickets chances are johnny probably has a game or a tournament on that day and you just be going from the tournament home shower and then to the game at seven o'clock and this doesn't lend itself well albeit it being fitting given that uh the spanish language channels particularly univision like afternoon games involving spanish language players so then obviously there'd be the opportunity for them to talk to michael barrios for them to talk to diego rubio and then of course they they love talking to carlos vela yeah this might be a rough game for rapids fans where you show up at the stadium and you just see a ton of guys wearing Vela jerseys and you're like, oh crap, we're having an away game in our home stadium. Um, that's that's one of those things. I remember we, we saw a fair amount of those kinds of games, Matt, when we lived in Colorado where f- people were showing up to see you know, Zlatan, people were showing up to see Thierry Henry, people were showing up to see somebody else play against us as opposed to the actual Colorado Rapids. That The Rapids have had a history before the days of um, Robin Frazier and the recent success, much of our history post nineties through the two thousands and into even the, the mid uh, teens was we were the Washington generals of major league soccer, right? Someone else would roll in a really great player and we would go up against them, but nobody really came to watch the Colorado Rapids. Not even locals were going to see the Colorado Rapids. Um, by the way, Nuggets fans in the uh, NBA Western Conference, this feels very familiar. Ooh, I've always wanted to see Dirk Nowitzki play basketball. What's that you say? The Nuggets have players? Ah, fat. Who cares about them, right? I grew up a Lakers fan. So, and I grew up in LA when the Lakers had Magic and Kareem and Worthy and Vlade Divac, right? Like these huge names. And like the Nuggets were just the also-rans 
who showed up to get their butts kicked by 30. Like, you know, except for uh, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf in the in the old days, the Nuggets were just, you know, uh, a placeholder. Um, hopefully the Rapids aren't that. But this team that they rolled out last week, Matt, was full. was like Jossie Zardes and 10 placeholder guys. And Lalo Sabubakar, maybe. But, like, there was nobody on that team who was, like, a really, um, you know, a, a marquee big name who gets people excited. Um, and even to that point, I'm not so, so sure that most um, Rapids fans uh, were really that excited about Jossie Zardes. You know, I mean, I think they like him um, and they hope for him. But I don't think they look – he's not – I mean, Matt's making a face again. My point is, he's not Vela and he's not Zlatan. Okay, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> you know, a, a few other keys that I have, Marcus, I mentioned earlier, LAFC's gotten better on set pieces. I'd like to see the Rapids again be effective on set pieces. They didn't get a whole lot of opportunities in San Jose. Can they create more corners? Can Brian Acosta yes. get something from – corners or if are we going to get back. price back that's right that's it, we had a mind we had a pure mind meld that moment matt well well done keep going sorry yes um i think the midfield certainly is going to be key i still don't have a good answer for how the rapids control the midfield a little bit more because the density hasn't been good the ball movement and the spacing hasn't been great that was true with uh Jack Price, that was true. Uh, that was true when Jack Price was healthy. That's been true even with Mark Anthony Kay as Robin Frazier's tried different solutions and different personnel. I'm starting to wonder, Mark, and maybe we'll get some answers on Saturday, or maybe it'll become obvious to me, yes or no, on Saturday of how much of these issues are just not having the destroyer that is Kellen Acosta on this team anymore, given the spacing and what uh, LAFC's done with Ilya Sanchez, with Mark Anthony, Mark Anthony K, with Kellen Acosta, and with Sifu, for example, and Latif Blessing. I'm not sure, but uh, the Rapids have to find an answer in midfield. I don't know that that answer is going to come without the return of a healthy Jack Price, and I think certainly Danny Wilson. So those injuries have been key, and I don't know if the players, if they're getting those players back, and if not, I think this is going to look very familiar in terms of who's dictating play, who actually has control of the situation, and which team is reactionary. And the Rapids don't do well when they are frantic and having to react and having to fight fires rather than dictating play and preventing those fires to begin with. I guess the one real saving grace you have is since another game for Giassi's artists to have a full week of training, be uh, better caught up in terms of what his teammates are doing, what is asked of him tactically, and you have that plus Diego Rubio coming back. So can the Rapids actually be goal difference, goal dangerous against uh, LAFC um, with Diego Rubio in there who's going to be able to be chippy and then maybe Jossie's artist having more support and then also more space because of the problems that Diego Rubio is able to create, which will only further um, you know make obvious how significant his absence was against the San Jose Earthquakes. Mark, I, I, I think LASC gets a result in this one. I can't see anything better for the Pits than a draw. Uh, I'm going to go Rapids win. Rapids win. I don't know. Uh, I just feel like this uh, extended slump is the result of a lot of, like, unlucky finishing, uh, some sloppy play, and some bad luck. And I feel like there's got to be a point at which the breaks just go for us because they've been going against us for a while. Um, so why not uh, have it go our way against LAFC? Stranger things have happened. It feels like this team is better than their record has indicated these last seven games. Um, and also, I will just note that like, if we're going to go out in the Open Cup, there's going to be fuel uh, for the fire. 
to fuel the rapid's desire. Give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Metallica? No, maybe. Yes, I don't know. yes, that's that's good, Mark. We we will see with this double game week whether or not what happened on Saturday uh, propels the Colorado Rapids forward with anger. With that, Rabbi, let's get out of here, folks. You can help support our sponsors, Icarus FC and Roughneck Scars, by going to check out their merch. They sell amazing neckwear that can keep you warm. They're, it's going to get warm soon, though. It's it's uh, it's very warm out there in Colorado, I hear. Um, so it might be time to switch over from the wool to the silk, and you know you can get some nice silk scarves. Um, there are a lot of really great options in silk scarves over at uh, Roughneck Scarves. Icarus FC, makers of custom-made kits, for your sports teams, for your parties, for all sorts of uh, engagements. They can customize things the way you like it. Icarus FC. Matt, tell them how to hit us on the socials, on the email, and to read our written content. Listeners, follow us individually on Twitter at soccer underscore rabbi and at LWS Matt Pollard. Check out our collective written content at lastwordonsports.com backslash soccer, holdingthehighline.substack.com, and Pittsburgh Soccer Now. Head on over to our Substack where you can view us in web format. You can become a emailed subscriber so you never miss a Backpass article from Rabbi or an occasional topical and in-depth thing that I write. That is also the best way for you to support us financially. You go on over to our Substack and you become a paid Highliner, 5 bucks a month or 42 bucks for the entire year. Also, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash Rapids96podcast if you just want to give us a single cash dump as well. That is an option. And then, of course, we have a great deal with the Denver Post. Head on over to denverpost.com backslash HTHL for a really good deal on all of the digital sports content, including possibly... Well, it's 2-2, Mark, on my television going into, we're currently in the second intermission, so we'll see. By the time you're listening to this, folks, you'll know whether or not the other Burgundy boys have swept uh, the Tennessee Titans hockey team uh, in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. But certainly, Denver Post doing a great job, whether it's Brendan Blowen and him covering Colorado soccer, him covering the Rapids specifically, and then, of course, all the coverage they're doing of the Rockies and the Avs as they hopefully march towards winning the Stanley Cup. Get a great deal on all that digital sports content at denverpost.com backslash hthl follow us on twitter at rapids 96 podcast send us your questions using the hashtag ask hthl or get at us in long form at rapids 96 podcast at gmail.com listeners we'll see you next week Peace.